Today's scripture reading comes from John 15, 1 through 17. You can find it in your pew Bibles on page 901, or you can pull it up on your devices at this time. The ESV version of the text will be displayed on the screen. And again, that's John 15, 1 through 17. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples." As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends, You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another." May God bless the reading of his word. This week, we have a guest preacher, Dr. Matt Kim, who will preach on the topic, Love is a Verb. This is continuation of our sermon series, Jesus is Better, with part three, Therefore. I'd like to invite Pastor Jeff to come up to introduce Dr. Kim. Morning, Crossbridge. It's so good to see all of you. Um, This morning... Uh, As Wen said, we have the privilege of hearing the Word of God preached through uh, Dr. Matt Kim. Uh, Dr. Kim is a colleague of our pastor, Jeff Arthurs. He's a preaching professor over at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. Uh, He's also the director of their mentored ministry program, which helps seminarians to be trained up to become uh, pastors uh, of, of churches. So will you join me in welcoming him and turn our attention to him? It's great to be with you. Probably turn this down. Let's let's join in prayer as we begin open open God's word together. Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to come to your house to worship you. We thank you for the beautiful faces here in this room and online, worshiping together as a family at, at Crossbridge. Thank you for this church for the staff and pastors and ministry servants and we thank you for every single person who is important in this body 
We thank you for your word now as we turn to it, that you would give us fresh eyes and ears to see and hear all that you have for us, this teaching that's glorious from John 15. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. May you alone receive all the glory, honor, and praise. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. In 2002, I had graduated from Gordon-Conwell Seminary and gotten married and then moved overseas to continue studying. Major life transitions had happened in my life, all in a few short months. And during those weary days overseas trying to study, there was no TV for us to turn on, but there was something a little uh, that gave us a a distraction, and that was Korean dramas. Now, you don't have to raise your hand if you like Korean dramas. I know that there are Chinese dramas and Taiwanese dramas and Hong Kong dramas. As someone who is ethnically Korean, I I had always been drawn a little bit to to Korean dramas, but not so much uh, in recent years in that time. But there was a new drama that came out in 2003 that you may have seen or may some of you weren't even born that, in fact, then, but uh, it was called The Stairway to Heaven. And in this drama, yes, I'm going to ruin it all for you, so it's too late. <laughs> this came out a long time ago. You should have seen it already. But there's always a, a male and a female who love each other. Uh, these were two young kids who had grown very fond of each other. The, the young man goes off to study. And during that time, they have been apart for many years, but then they become reunited. And of course, there's always in any kind of drama a tragedy that strikes. And in this tragedy, the young woman falls prey to eye cancer. And she is pronounced that she's going to die soon. And of course, you know all about Korean dramas and as well as any drama that this takes a sharp turn for the worst. So in this conversation that this this young woman is having with this young man after being diagnosed with eye cancer and being told that she's going to die, she says, if I go to heaven, I'll truly be able to love you because there's only love there. So this is the beginning of our beautiful love story. He responds, then that means our love begins now. You can just hear the background music chiming up. I've always shown up first for our dates and waited for you. So this time, you'll get there first and wait for me, right? Yes. She says, I'm sorry, I can't go with you right now. And he concludes, don't forget me. I love you. I love you. I loved you to death. And I, in death, I will still love you. And I'll continue to love you. Our love begins now. Goodbye until we meet again. Korean dramas have really bad theology. And I don't have time today to get into all the bad Korean drama theology, but I want you to know 
that when you are looking at someone for the very last time and you love them, you want to communicate that you love them. Think about the person you love the most on this earth. Who would that person be? Wouldn't you want to tell them? Wouldn't you want to convey to them, communicate to them in any way possible that you love them? And even in this case, you will always love them. As has just been read for us in John chapter 15, Jesus is in the last days of his earthly ministry. His time on earth is coming to an end, and he has this opportunity to share with his disciples one last word with them. This opportunity for him to tell them how much he loves them, how much he will always love them, and how he is preparing a place for them in eternity for those who put their faith in Jesus. So what does Jesus say to the disciples? That is what we'll be looking at this morning. So turn with me again to John chapter 15. As we've just read uh, verses 1 through 17, let's look and unpack some of this teaching that Jesus offers to us this morning as, he, as we go through the series, uh, Jesus is better, therefore. In, in verse 1, look with me there. Jesus calls us, first of all, to bear fruit. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Jesus calls us to bear fruit, and he gives us an image that was very common in, in that ancient culture, which is to talk about agriculture. If Jesus were living today, he would probably talk about real estate and the stock market. He would probably talk about IT. He would probably talk about AI and robotics. You get the point. This was an, an important part of culture back then. And Jesus lays out this image for us of who this gardener is, who the vine is, and who the branches are. And so he begins by saying, I am the true vine. Now for many of us who have grown up in suburban Lexington, you have no idea what he's talking about. Unless your parents or you have decided to grow a garden, you've never seen a vine. And so a vine is the part of the stem that absorbs and produces branches which eventually produce fruit. And so Jesus calls himself in this image the vine. In other translations, it says that he is the vine dresser. He is the source of life, he says. I am the vine, and my father is the gardener. Now, sometimes you see in movies or you see in documentaries these kinds of things where farmers are going out into the field and there is a gardener who, who plants, waters, waits for the crop to arise and harvest later for consumption. We've seen this in TV and movies. We don't see that here in suburban Lexington. And he cuts, notice, 
Jesus goes directly to the problem. He says in verse 2, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. So imagine with me a gardener planting and sowing seed and watering it. Would that gardener say after six months or eight months, Oh, nothing's popped up. I guess I was successful. It's been a good year. The fruit, there's nothing there, but it's okay. I did my part. I watered it. No, he says in verse 2, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And the branches in this story are us. And while Jesus will tell us over and over and over again that he loves us, he will love us, and he will always love us, he gives us this earthly reminder that while we are here living with flesh and bones and blood running through our veins, he tells the Christians, he tells his disciples that he will cut off any branch, us, that does not bear fruit and fruit that will last. Continues in the second half of verse 2, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Jesus wants you and me, Christians today, living today, to bear fruit. He doesn't want us to just go through the, the earthly life and say, yeah, I, today was a good day. I, I played, a, a, you know, I played whatever I wanted to play and I, I studied hard and I made some money. I got into a good school. I, I was successful. Jesus says, there's fruit to be made and created and expanded. He wants his kingdom to expand through us. When we are the branches, he says. I don't care if I'm never invited back to Crossbridge ever again. I want to tell you, especially you young people out there, listen to me. Listen to me. You only have one opportunity to live for Jesus, and that is now. The world tells you, and I'm sorry, sometimes even our parents tell us that we have to be significant and successful in this life that we have to make a name for ourselves, that we have to go to the best colleges, that we have to get the best jobs and make the most money and be secure and set ourselves apart from everybody else. That's what the world teaches us. And Jesus says, Jesus says no, I did not create you for that purpose. I created you to bear fruit for my kingdom. And again, I don't care if I'm ever invited back to Crossbridge. Jesus does not promise health and wealth and prosperity. Jesus does not promise you the American dream. Jesus does not promise a success, constant trajectory of mobility and upwardness. Jesus promises us that he cares about fruit and bearing fruit. And that's what's most important to him. So Jesus calls us to bear fruit. And he's going to explain what that looks like in a moment. But look with me in the second part of verse 2. He says, But God, the gardener, prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. 
So those of us who have been living for the kingdom of God, we've been trying to bear fruit in this world. We've been trying to love others. We've been trying to live out the gospel. We've been trying to witness to others. We've been trying to evangelize. We've been trying to make disciples. He says, even you who are bearing fruit, there are going to be some branches that are cut off. The parts of us that are not whole and healthy, the parts of us that are still living in sin, where we're distracted. He says those parts will be cut off. Each vine branch that is not bearing fruit is cut off. I don't know how many of you have suffered from COVID. Maybe it's gone through your entire family. Maybe you've lost people to COVID. You've lost loved ones. And I don't know why, but I was going through a, a weird season in my own life where in, on December 10th, one of my children got COVID and I have three kids and each one got COVID, not all at the same time, of course, but one after the other, one week after the other. And then eventually I got COVID and then my COVID for some reason did not go away and I, got, I was sick for about six weeks straight. Not just with COVID, then I got COVID pneumonia. Then I, I went to the hospital, to the ER. And it's, it's a long, long journey for, for me. And during that time, I was spiritually attacked by the Satan. And Satan was telling me, because I literally thought I was going to die because I had to go on oxygen. I couldn't breathe on my own. And I felt like Satan was just laughing at me, saying, it's better to go be with Jesus today. And Satan is the, the master of twisting words, God's words. Paul said that. Paul said, it's better for me to be with Jesus, but I will continue on serving him now, here in this earthly life. And Satan was mocking me. I've, I've never had it so real, where sp spiritual attack came very strongly, and Satan was laughing at me, saying, Matt, it's better to be with Jesus. Stop breathing. It's better to be with Jesus. Stop breathing. It's better to be with Jesus. Stop breathing now. And I wanted to give up. And during that time, I have never been so close to Jesus in a very long time. And I was crying out, Jesus, save me. Jesus, give me breath. Jesus, give me purpose. Jesus, be the one that I live for. Jesus, be my God again. Forgive me for all the ways I've been pursuing worldly success. And in those six weeks, God was pruning me. And he was removing all the areas of my life where I've been living for myself, where I've been living for my family, where I've been living for even Gordon Conwell. And he was taking away all those areas of my life, those sins and those perpetual desires that are not of this, not of the kingdom, that are of this world. And he was just pruning me, taking them all off. And I wonder how many of us here in this room are going through something similar, where God is trying to prune you so that you can bear even more fruit for the kingdom. And my prayer request for you, Crossbridge, is don't resist Jesus. He may be wanting to prune you of different things in your life, so the first thing he calls us to do is to bear fruit. Can you say bear fruit with me? Bear fruit. 
He doesn't say bear 4.0. He doesn't say bear $100,000 salary. He doesn't say bear Harvard. Sorry. Notice with me, he continues. In verse 4 through 8, Jesus calls us to remain in him. So how are you going to bear fruit? Jesus gives us the answer. It's himself. And in verse 4, he says, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Let's keep going. I am the vine, you are the branches. Can you say that? I am the vine, you are the branches. If a person remains in me and I in him, they will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, Jesus, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Jesus calls us to remain in him. How am I going to bear fruit? How am I going to live out the, the call of the disciple? It's through remaining in Jesus. Notice here, he says in, in verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. So what does it look like to remain in Jesus? It's to remain in his love. It's to remain. Other translations say abide, connect, stay connected to the source. And I'm sorry, but there is a spiritual warfare that continues on. We wonder why COVID has happened and then now a war is happening overseas. These are not arbitrary things that just happen. God is in control. God is sovereign. And he's trying to remind you and me, Christians today, that we are to remain in the vine, in the source, in Christ. So any worldly distraction, anything that's keeping our focus away from Jesus, Jesus is telling us to come back to him, to abide in him, to rest in him. So the question is, is for us, what does it look like for us to Abide in Jesus. How do we do that? What does it look like for you? Is it reading your Bible as consistently as possible? Reminding yourself of the Gospels and what Jesus has taught us? Is it about prayer? Spending time with Jesus throughout the day, talking to him, staying connected to him? Is it about having peace that this world cannot offer you? A job cannot offer you. A spouse cannot offer you. Even children cannot offer you. Jesus says, remain in me. Abide in me. Stay connected to me because I am the vine and you are the branches. Imagine a vine, a stem without any branches. Wouldn't that look silly? It would look absolutely ridiculous. Imagine a tree with a tree trunk with no branches. You say, that thing's dead. And Jesus is saying, for those who stay with me, for those who stay connected to me, you will be able to bear much fruit. 
So what does he say here? He challenges many things. He says, no, only, number one, the only way, I am the only way to bear fruit. We already talked about that. Secondly, he says, apart from him, we can do nothing. Nothing. You can do nothing without Jesus. I can do nothing without Jesus. These are harsh statements. I thought I could do a lot. TV tells me I can do everything if I just put my mind to it and work hard. No. Jesus says, apart from him, you and I can do nothing. Then he says even harsher things. We will be thrown out like dead branches if we don't stay close to him. And he says, desire what you want if you stay connected to me. Now that takes a little bit of thinking because Pastor Matt, you just said, I can't go to Harvard just because I want to. And then bearing fruit shows we are disciples. So even in these verses 4 through 8, Jesus is telling us that when we stay connected to him, we will desire what he desires. That's what he's teaching you about desires. Because when we stay connected to Jesus, we will want what's good for the kingdom. We will be pursuing the things that Jesus wants us to pursue. If we pursue Jesus, that's the only way we're able to love others, which he'll get to in a moment. If we are pursuing Jesus and staying connected to Jesus, we will not shrivel and die spiritually and be cut off. So he tells us that everything leads to this ultimate destination. So he first calls us to bear fruit, and then he calls us to remain in him, and this is why he wants this ultimately to happen. And it comes down to verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Now the teaching gets very, very close to the heart of God. Verse 10. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Notice there's a condition. And this world will never tell you to obey God, obey Jesus. They'll tell you to obey your heart, obey what you want, obey your thirst, as Sprite has said. But they will never tell you to obey Jesus and God's commands. And this world will never be able to stay consistent with God because this world is against God. And in verse 10, it says, If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. And that leads us to the sermon title, which is Love is a Verb. Love acts. Love requires following God's commands. Obedience. I don't know if you, this is really, this is going to date me, right? This is, this illustration is going to date me because love as a verb is not my own creation. You've probably heard it before from DC Talk. If you're anywhere near my age, you will have heard of DC Talk. DC Talk is a music group. They were one of the first cool Christian rap groups. And so in the early 90s, we see DC Talk and all these cool Christian music used to be really bad, young people. Christian music was so bad that they didn't even have radio stations back then about Christian music. Are you hearing me? 
You need to appreciate today what's going on in this world with Christian music. And DC Talk came to the scene. These three guys from Liberty University, they come together, Toby Mac and uh, the, the, the three guys that come together and they formed this band called DC Talk and they created this song called Love is a Verb. And if you remember that song, you know exactly how it goes. Doom, doom, love is a verb. <laughs> and love is a verb, Jesus says. Love is following his commandments. Love is living out his teaching. And he says that in verse 11, I have told you this. I've told you to obey me, he's basically saying. I told you to obey me so that my joy may be in complete in you and that your joy may be complete. How many of you have joy today? Can you raise your hand? It's okay if you don't, but some of us, do you have joy? Joy is not happiness. Joy is not based on circumstances. How do we get joy then? Joy is more than happiness. It's this perpetual state of being okay with how I'm doing because I have Jesus. That's how, how, that's how I would define joy. Is My life may be pretty stinky right now. Things may not be going the way I want, but I'm perfectly okay because I have Jesus in my heart. That's joy. And Jesus is asking his disciples, how do you get this joy? How are you able to stay joyful? And it's by obeying his commands. This world is constantly bombarding us with the wrong message. Joy is found in material possessions. Joy is found in upward mobility. Joy is found in having a corner office. Joy is found in making a lot of money. Joy is found in having the best house you can get. Joy is found in all these different external circumstances. And notice none of those are in this passage. Jesus says joy is found in obedience to him. We think oftentimes of the Christian life as these rules and regulations. God is this really mean, grouchy person up in the sky that doesn't want me to have any fun in this life. He created all these boundaries for me, and the boundaries stink, and I, I want to curse God and say, your boundaries stink, God. God takes away all the fun in life. He doesn't, he doesn't allow me to experience all the things this world tells me to experience. And Jesus says, the world has it wrong. True joy is found in me, he says. It's in obeying my commands. Jesus says that true joy in this life comes from him and obeying everything he told us to obey. Do you remember the Great Commission? Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Jesus says to be a disciple is to teach everybody, all the things that he has taught us, and to obey. Teach and obey and go. Is that our desire? Is that our heart's cry? Is that we would have this kind of otherworldly joy that only Jesus can give us? Notice here, it doesn't just end with joy. joy God doesn't want just us to have joy. 
He wants us to do something further, and it goes like this in verse 12. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Notice verse 13. This verse 13 is quoted many times. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. Notice here again. Sunday school teaching that told us that Jesus is our friend regardless of anything. No, no. It says here, you are my friends if you do what I command. Jesus loves you. This love that he's talking about is not conditional. If you are in Christ, if you have put your faith in Jesus, you cannot earn your salvation. That's not what this is teaching you. If you have put your faith in Jesus and you are, you are a believer, you are a disciple of Jesus, you are a committed Christian, Jesus is not saying, just because you disobeyed me once, then this will happen to you. There's no if-then clause condition-based salvation. This is not talking about salvation. He's talking about how we stay connected to Jesus for a lifetime. And there will be trials and temptations that come upon you. And we will fail. And I have failed. And yet Jesus wants us to stay connected to him. And he says, you are my friends if you do what I command. And what has he commanded us to do? Verse 17. This is my command. Love each other. As I close, there's a pastor by the name of Pastor Buchanan, Mark Buchanan. And he tells a story about how he had all these people come to his house so that they could lay sod on his land. Exciting, yeah, can't wait to go. If you've ever done sod work, sod work is really, really hard. You have to flatten the land, and then you have to make sure that all the pieces fit together. You don't overuse sod. Okay, I'm not giving you a gardening tip today, so let's keep going. But they were laying sod, and all these people that he invited were sitting around, taking a break, eating pizza, and enjoying life together in the community. And one guy looks over at the other, and, and, and Pastor Mark Buchanan, and says, Hey, Pastor, this is awesome. I can't believe you invited us here. This is true community. Being with people you like is true community. And then weeks later, this woman by the name of Wanda shows up to church. And Wanda is not like them. She's coming from the streets. She's lived a very hard life. She doesn't come from a suburban context. She doesn't come from a stable job. She has no education. She's been living on the streets. And Wanda comes to church and sits in the pew and looks around and Pastor Mark notices her because she looks so different from everybody else. And and Wanda is, is there in the pews and Pastor Mark presents the gospel to her. And Wanda says, this is what I've been searching for my entire life. I never knew that Jesus came. I never knew about this Jesus other than as a curse word. And this Jesus, you're telling me that this Jesus gave up heaven 
to become a human being? And that that same Jesus became a baby and lived in a, in a town called Nazareth for 30 years as a mason carpenter? And that same Jesus is God and human? And that same Jesus did ministry among 12 and 72 and 500 and thousands? That that same Jesus lived a perfect life that you and I could not live? That same Jesus was mocked and spat upon and put on a cross? You're telling me that that same Jesus died on a cross, a criminal's death? You're telling me that that same Jesus was taken down from the cross and put into a grave and had a, a stone rolled in front of the tomb for three days? And you're telling me that that same Jesus rolled the stone away and resurrected and came back to life? And you're telling me that that same Jesus ascended to heaven and will come back? to claim those who put their faith and trust in him. And Pastor Mark said, yes, that is the same Jesus. And she said, I've been waiting my whole life for this, for this good news. Thank you, thank you, thank you for sharing. I want to put my faith in that Jesus. I want to put my faith in that Savior, in that Lord. And I want to give the rest of my life for that Jesus. And so she did. And week after week, Pastor Mark saw new people from the streets that looked just like Wanda when she first came to church. And another, and another, and another, and another that the world had discarded as rubbish those same people entered the pews and became Christians. And it exploded the church with new life and joy and satisfaction because every week, people who had been so far from Jesus had come and heard the gospel and their lives were transformed. That is true community. That is one example of love being a verb there are many others. Dear church, I thank you for the opportunity to share God's word with you today. I don't know what you're wrestling with today. I don't know what's distracting us from remaining in Christ or loving each other. But I pray that Jesus gave you a small glimpse as to what this Christian life could be like if we lay down our lives for our friends, where we live sacrificially, where we put Jesus first, in all things. Love is a verb, so love one another.